0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning, Life Centre Church, on these school holidays. My name is Gareth. I'm one of the elder candidates here at North Lakes. Um, and the series that we are currently going through is All In. Um, It's a natural progression from where we were in our last series when we were walking through the book of 2 Timothy, which was a book about an older pastor at the end of his life encouraging a younger pastor in the thick of his ministry to be strengthened by that blood-bought grace that promises to strengthen him in times of trial. And what was he being strengthened for? For the mission. And that's what this series is all about. We're trying to build that one series leading to the next. um, And that's why we're going through All in Advancing the Mission of God, this topical series where we're going through for the next four weeks. Last week, Shane kicked us off with the wonderful truth that this mission is God's mission. That's why we are here. And this week, we'll be looking at our mission how we as a church family, the body of Christ, are being called to partner with God's mission and be on mission together. Next week, we'll be looking at your mission, how you being uniquely being placed in your context are being called to live and think missionally. And then the final week, we'll be looking at God's global mission. That's when we'll be talking about the Advance, the Gospel Advance and Mission Initiative for the year where we partner with church planning initiatives in various parts of the world. But Shane mentioned last week that this series, we're wanting to not merely be an intellectual exercise, but personal and practical. So we've been going through four different challenges. Challenge one, we want you to be praying for two people every single day for the next four weeks, that God may bring them into a saving relationship with him. Whether these are people that you're already praying for, or if they are people that God is only now putting on your heart, that you commit to lift them up to Jesus, that they may enter into that relationship with him. The challenge two, that you may invite people into your home, two people or two sets of people, people from inside the church and outside it. It's a beautiful thing that we open our doors to people who don't know Jesus, to welcome our adopted brothers and sisters into our homes. And challenge three, that you might share the gospel with just one person. This could be the people that you are praying for. This could be the people that you're inviting over or just somebody that you bump into on the street. (laughs) And challenge four, that you would invite somebody to church. Our next series will be addressing some big objections to church, to faith, Jesus, and that might be a great time to invite them along. We want you to be doing these things, not so that you can be better Christians, but so that we can experience the joy of being on mission together and that m- many more may come to know the Father. So as we start uh, what we're looking at today, I think it's probably a good time to pray. I'd like to bow your heads with me. Let's pray together. Father, may you open our eyes to see, really see what you would have for us, to understand about what it is to be all in for you. May you open our minds to understand it. May you open our hearts to embrace it and open our lives to obey it. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. The church isn't what you think it is, or at least not completely what you think it is, I don't think. You might be familiar with this word, ecclesia, That's the word that generally was used as a stand-in in in the New Testament for the church. It means gathering or assembly. But it's probably not the perfect word because it's also used to describe riots, which, I don't know, might describe some churches around. Um, But when we think of churches, we probably also think of buildings. Or more often in our context, we think of organizations. Life Centre Church, for example. We don't have a building, we rent this space, but we are an organized group of people. We have banners, we have policies and staff, but I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to think about it. It might be better reframing the question, what is the church, as who is the church? And I think that's a better way to put it, considering the answer, which is a people 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jeff Van puts it this way. The church is the regenerate people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God in this world. The church is the regenerate people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God in this world. We can fixate upon this idea of gathering, but the scripture, when they're speaking of Ecclesia, they're implying it not merely being a gathering, but the gathered ones. The ones that have been gathered to Jesus, who call him Saviour and Lord and build their lives around him. In a sense, it isn't an event, but it is grounded in an event. The event of the life, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus who is building his gathered ones. And as we heard so beautifully last week of Christ building his church, he wants his ones then to be spread throughout the world, transforming it for his glory and our good. This is the idea that theologians would call the invisible church, the global church, the entire body of Christ, all who are living now and all who have been lived, who have known Jesus and are now with him, and where Christ is the only head. This invisible church is not only a family, but it's Christ's bride. Revelation, which again Shane referenced last week, was in part about a wedding feast, it's about the wedding between Jesus and his church. That's a really strange idea. Um, we normally think about weddings being between two people. But actually, the marriage that we act out on earth is a foreshadowing, a foretaste, a symbol of this greater wedding. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. It would be unimaginable for me to have a friend over to my house who liked me but hated Haley. She's the most dear person on the earth to me, and uh, but and actually, honestly, I couldn't imagine this happening. Most people only hang out with me to get closer to her. Um, but I but I digress. I wouldn't allow someone to remain my friend who hated her, who insulted her. Jesus is committed to his bride. He is committed to his church. Because he didn't just create it, he married it. Much of the narrative of the Bible is Jesus pursuing this broken and imperfect bride. She is not yet the beauty that she will one day become, when on that day she becomes that beauty that we look forward to when God remakes the earth. We are not perfect. And church, we shouldn't pretend to be. The church is still made up of sinful people, people who let one another down, people who hurt one another. And I'm sure that many of you will heard this turn of phrase before, but the church is not a museum for perfect saints, but it is a hospital for broken people who need healing. We spent a sizable portion of our last series, 2 Timothy, working through this point, and I'd really encourage you to have a listen. We are not yet the bride we should be. But we should not downplay Jesus' commitment to his imperfect church. He died for her. He died for us. And in my experience, I've had this conversation a lot. I follow Jesus, but I, I I don't really do church. I don't necessarily have anything against it. I just don't think I need it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good on my own. And with all of this talk of this invisible church, of our membership in this group being found not through committing to a group, but by committing to a saviour, that would almost make sense. And a few different writers and theologians have actually noted that this has, is a really modern problem. Since Rene Descartes began his defense of God with, I think, therefore I am, I has become the focal point of many of our faiths. The historian Mark Knoll said that up to the early 1700s, British Protestants preached on God's plan for the church. From the mid 1700s, however, evangelicals emphasized God's plan for the individual we now focus on how God has a plan for us. Technology allows us to listen to the best worship music, listen to a much better sermon than this one, pray wherever we are, and then have church lying in bed or on a beach or wherever we want to be on a Sunday morning. But this invisible church must be made visible. The global church must be made local. The scattered church can only be a scattered church if it is at some point gathered. This invisible church must be made visible. This individualized approach would have been completely foreign to the Apostle Paul. He knew that you can't come to Jesus without coming to his people. Galatians three twenty-six through twenty-eight In Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Romans twelve, five. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another we have an obligation to each other. We belong to each other. As we become members of this invisible church, it becomes impossible to claim Christ and avoid his people. If God is your father, then his people are your family. God actually takes this idea even further. You can't love Jesus and hate his church. In Acts 9, verses 4 through 5, this is before Paul became a Christian, back when he was called Saul. We've talked loads about Paul over the last few weeks. He was at that time attempting to aggressively and systematically eradicate the church. Jesus, at this point, while Paul was traveling, miraculously appeared to him, struck him down and said, "'Twice, Paul, why do you persecute me?' Paul has been persecuting the church, but Jesus has such a tight relationship with his people, with his bride, with his church, that what you do to them, you do to him. The terror there is what you say against the church, what, how you feel against the church, you feel and, what you do, and you do that against Christ. But the beauty of that is when you serve the church, you serve Jesus. Jesus. Matthew 25 and 40 has those beautiful words, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. How we treat God's people is how we treat him. If you serve them, you serve him. And the negative of that, if you fail to serve his people, you fail to serve him. That can be hard. We are not yet the bride that we should be but Jesus loves his bride. This invisible church is made visible in the local church context. We don't profess, however, to tell you that this is the only way, as we are doing it, this is the only way to do it. But we do believe that the visible church is required to have a few different essential elements. It needs prayer, it needs scripture, communion, baptism, eldership, accountability. This can occur in lots of different contexts, but it still must be made visible. That global church must be made local. So as we return to that thought that I'm sure many of us have had at one point or another, I don't really feel like I need the church. I have Jesus. Why would I need his people? Sam Albury has some really hard work, words in his book, Why Bother With Church, which I'd really recommend if that's something that you struggle with. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us that there is another day approaching, infinitely more significant than the holidays, the return of Jesus Christ. And the way to prepare for that day is to be encouraged in our faith in Christ and to be growing in love and good deeds that flow from this faith. To do that, we need the input of others, and to have input into others. That is how God has designed his people to flourish. Outside of the local church, we will lack the encouragement that God has for us. We'll be failing to help others grow in their faith too. To think we will carry on our Christian lives is therefore a little arrogant. I'm saying I can manage without the encouragement that God wants to provide for me through the local church. And, quite selfish, I'm saying that I won't encourage those in my local church. My friends, I think that's beautifully said in that you are both needy and needed. It may not be immediately apparent to you how any of this has anything to do with being all in and how this talk of community and commitment and encouragement and correction advances the mission of God there's these beautiful words of Jesus in John 13:35 by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another Jesus is saying that there is a significant part of the church's evangelistic impact that will come from community that our love for one another is this mark of true discipleship. A love for one another that cannot be attributed to anything other than a divine love which provokes those who have been bought with blood to lay down their lives for one another as we enact the gospel to one another week in, week out, laying aside our preferences, being inconvenienced for one another for the glory of our God and the good of the world. With all of that, Being said, the question now rises, how are we here at LCC trying to make this invisible church visible in our context? How is this visible then on mission together for Jesus? And the paradigm that we attempt to do this through is this model of table, pulpit and square. Um, Which we'll see up there, uh, which kind of as I look at it reminds me of like the windows that you'd look through like at play school, you know, where they'd go through and tell you a story. But, but uh, nevertheless, um, we acknowledge that there are sort of these three sort of different primary spaces in which the Christian lives their lives. Um, each of these have independent strengths and weaknesses. None is better than the other, but they have these different and complementary purposes. We'll quickly work through each of them now. So there's the pulpit, the, the triangle window. Um, which is the the larger gatherings of the church, the community gathered. Our orientation in the space is upward. Joe Thorne puts it this way, God is the target of worship. Not insiders, not outsiders, but God. When we are singing, when we are preaching, when we are praying, when when we are taking communion, the purpose is there is to please God. This space is where we gather as God's people in corporate worship to hear from this triune God in and through his word and then respond to him in adoration, repentance, and faith. It is in this space where we aim to please God, to reveal God, and experience God. This space is good for meeting one another, for hearing from the eldership, opening the word, for singing together, but it isn't good for intimate community or for ministering to the least of these and so we have the table, the circle window, which is uh, the church gathered when we are scattered. This is a, a space where our orientation is inward. This is where we as God's people gather together to encourage one another in the gospel and to then equip one another as we scatter on mission. It is in this space where we eat, share, care. Eat chair care, nice and sticky. Um, we eat together. Actually, in our life groups, we think that this is super important. In the book of Luke, um, Jesus likes using his little nickname, the Son of Man. And the Son of Man was described to have come to do three things. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to die on a cross. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Throughout the book of Luke, the majority of his ministry is done around the dinner table. Eating together is this sign of radical acceptance, of being unguarded. Cooking for one another is this sign of being inconvenienced to provide for the needs of one another without any expectation of reciprocity. We eat together. We share our lives to develop deep relationships of trust and encouragement. And we care for one another. In these smaller groups, we can hope to have enough intimacy to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another towards holiness and to discourage one another from falling away. These smaller spaces are organized formally in our church through life groups and our Bible studies and informally through the relationships that we develop with one another, inviting one another into our homes. And this space, I believe, is so desperately needed in our culture, in our context. The Australian Psychological Association in 2018 published something called the Loneliness Report. Isn't that just the saddest thing ever? That they published a paper called the Loneliness Report. Um, And some of the most pertinent findings was that one in four Australians felt lonely or anxious regarding socialization. And that's evident even in those who are well-connected socially. But... The one that I find most tragic is 30% of all respondents felt that they weren't really part of a group of friends. I wonder how much worse this would look right now if it were published now, post-COVID, post-lockdown. And I also wonder how much if that ache is because we've been made for community. How sweet then does that love for one another then shine upon a hill? That is how we will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And then there's the square, the only one that's left. Um, That is where the community is scattered and our orientation is outward. As God's people, we are scattered for mission in culture. We believe that as Christians, we are called to participate in culture by living, by playing, by working in the culture, by talking by listening, by investing and fostering friendships and inviting people to relationship with us, with God's people and with God. It is in this space where we believe Christians are called to work to restore the world around us through works of mercy, through love and care. And it's here where we aim to multiply the church through church planting and church revitalization. A whole bunch of this will be looked at in these next couple of weeks. But for the moment, let us return to that space in the middle, the pulpit, the space in which here, right now, we are gathered. Why are you here today? This is, I suppose, the first in a series of uncomfortable questions that we, we need to be aware of our motivations, aware of our assumptions about what church should be and why we are here Often at the heart of relational dysfunction, and this is a relationship between you and the people of God, often at the heart of relational dysfunction is unspoken expectation. And it's even worse if it's unconscious, unspoken expectation. Everyone has different thoughts about what church should look like. This can come from what we did as kids. It can, where we came to faith, the people who we find influential on the internet. And I know that that latter point is particularly significant for me. I'm a millennial and a child of the internet. But the real questions, I suppose, that that comes from is, are you here to be entertained or to be engaged? Are you here to watch or are you here to be a witness, a witness to something far greater? There is this really challenging idea from the communication theorist Marshall McLuhan. And in 1964, he coined this phrase the medium is the message. The implication of this is that the mode or the medium of communication is more important, oftentimes, than the content of communication. The form is more important than the content. An example of this could be Tinder could communicate to its users that it's all about high-quality, long-term relationships. It doesn't, but let's, for the sake of argument, say that it does. Um, The medium of an app where you then rapidly swipe through potential suitors based on photos actually communicates that people are consumable and a commodity. It doesn't matter what would be being said in that app, but the app is set up in such a way that the form, the Medium is far more important than the message. I think when we come down here in our particular context today, I think singing is such a key part of what we do. I'm incredibly thankful for this hall. It's not super well set up for music, um, or what we have come at least to think of as the modern worship experience. The ceilings are too high, there's too many hard surfaces you can hear, the sound bouncing around, the light is bright and stark. Um, I had a friend say once that, that worship never quite felt the same during the day or in bright rooms. It's as if like the Holy Spirit is afraid of photons. Um, <clears throat> but what does being in a giant dark room with loudspeakers, anonymity, and a spotlit band communicate? That communicates something. And I think I know what this space, in this like kind of suboptimal hall, teaches us. It teaches us that the voice of your neighbour matters. Their engagement in this experience together matters. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, It is the voice of the church that is heard in singing together. It is not you that sings. It is the church that is singing. And you, as a member of the church, may share in its song. Thus, all singing together must serve to widen our spiritual horizon, make us see our little company as a member of the great Christian church on earth, and help us willingly and gladly join our singing, be it feeble or good, to the song of the church. This space here, I think one of the gifts is that it tells you that you are needed whether your voice is feeble or good. We need you when we sing. And I'm sure that you've all sat here in a space like this when the church has been in full voice, that that's such an incredible blessing. You are so encouraged by the saints around you. This is the community that we're inviting outsiders into. We invite them to take their place in this chorus, to stand next to their brothers and sisters and lift their voice to the praise of the one who has brought us out of darkness and into the light. To the praise of Jesus. Again, Romans 12:5, so we though many are in are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So bands, if you'll come up. Friends, church Beloved, gathered ones, we want to be all in. We want to be on the mission of God. And the thought that I want to leave you with this, I, you, you can't do this on your own. We don't invite the lost into an individu- individual, independent or private faith. We are necessarily inviting people into a necessary community. We cannot accept Jesus and reject his bride. And I want you to be encouraged by the words of Jesus again in John thirteen thirty-five. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. May you love one another well now. May you feel a surge of affection for those of you who are sit- you are sitting next to, whether their voice be feeble or good. I love that word, feeble. Oh, man. Um, who when we stand together and sing may you lift your voice to bless them and may your participation be a witness of the hope to which you sing friends church the beloved the gathered ones let us stand together now um, and let us move to take communion thank you for listening to this podcast from life center church located in north lakes We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.